0: What's going on, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. We are here. We are live tape in a brand new room. Sorry for the delay on certain episodes. We were focusing on the Rebels uh, rewatch show getting started, and then I moved. So it was just a matter of figuring out when the next legitimate first sit down interview would be in the new space. Um, But we hope you've been enjoying the rebels rewatch show with Nikki Kumar in the meantime, but there was a small project, small uh, pairing of projects that happened in the meantime, you might've heard something about it. It was just, you know, low, pretty low key. No one was freaking out uh, except really everybody. And that was the launch of star Wars visions, of course, and hanging over the shoulder of visions, like a looming dark broody badass was probably the most aesthetically pleasing Star Wars novel we've ever had coming down the pipeline and everybody has been talking about this because of how unique a project it is because of what it means for Star Wars novels being yes non-canon and we'll get into that conversation a little bit here even though I don't care Um, (laughs) because because the fantasy of it is the fantasy of it, and we'll get into that for sure. Um, But it is this this weird sweet spot of it's a myth riffing on the myth, and it's within the story, and it uses all the trappings of the story. But oh my god, what's that over here? It's all of the influence that George pulled from you know take it into the story and combine, and that of course is Ronan and. It is based on The Duel, which is the kickoff of Visions. If you're watching them in, in chronological order, that's the one that sort of draws you in and sort of is a mission statement for the show. And this is a really, really special story written by, by a person who knew, who knew that they did that, that people write these things. Um, it's a very, very exciting time uh, for one Emma Miko Candon, And you are Hello. here. <laughs>
1: How you doing? Uh I'm doing good. I'm I'm excited to have this chat. Like uh it's so clear to me from the, the things we've said to each other here and there that like you're you're very aware of the lineage of yeah. not just Star Wars, but like where Visions is coming from and also consequently what the duel uh and Ronin drew from. So right. I'm very excited about this conversation.
0: Me too. I I really am, and it's something that is has been in my mind this entire Visions launch, you know, being able to talk to James Wan, Kanaka Shirosaki, and just to have all these conversations about giving the torch back to Japan and mm-hmm. to so many of the creators um, that, you know, obviously. It's it's easy shorthand to say, Kurosawa, Kurosawa. And like, mm-hmm. of course, especially, particularly in the duel. Um, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. So many people, I mean, as James Wall pointed out, it was Kathy Kennedy that helped bring Miyazaki to the States. And mm-hmm. you can feel that influence throughout. And you can feel the influence mm-hmm. of many of our biggest anime, anime franchises. You know, things yes. like uh, your... <laughs> I mean, there's, there's the ones that are super Americanized that all the American kids know, your, your DVZs yes. and your Naruto, but then there's you know uh-huh. that, that generation removed of people talking about Cyborg uh, 009 and, and things like yes. that. That It's just been a really exciting mm-hmm. time to see all these mm-hmm. influences pop up. Rurone Kenshin, which is one, yeah. of, one of my favorite, um, which <laughs> is, is all over this and in turn is all over yes. its Kurosawa roots. So this has been such a, a cool time just to see Star Wars almost give up its own homage aesthetic and say what if we let the people we homage homage us it's giving it back mm-hmm. it's you know very mm-hmm. uh, vader and obi-wan the circle is now complete so <laughs> but it's also extremely 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 personal for everybody yes. involved and that's all mm-hmm. of the vision <laughs> and you that other visions director at at this point i mean you're
2: mm. (laughs) it gave me a lot of control
0: (laughs) yeah it it feels that way it feels that way for me it it feels that way for me in terms of the book i mean the book is again i talk about its uniqueness it's a novelization of something that is less than 20 minutes long whereas most of these novelizations (laughs) end up being you know i always have a two and a half hour movie to work with you got to craft an entire world around this inciting incident,
1: yeah, I think it cut it's the first two chapters that are the duel, and then there's like forty more, yeah. so you know um, uh yeah no it's it's been uh. I was given uh, first the premise, that was how it was introduced to me when I was asked like, hey, do you want to do this? And I had to say yes. And that was a very easy yes before I got any of the material. But then it was like the slow drip of material and I was like churning ideas up uh, as I was getting new things. And like every time I got something new, it was like, oh, okay. So draw from this very strongly. And I'd go and like read up on that and I'd soak in more of that and integrate it with some other things that had excited me. Um, in my like earlier idea brewing stage. But it's especially when I got to see Visions as a whole and saw where they had positioned uh, the dual sort of like that introduction to the album where they're like, here's our thesis. Yeah, <laughs> like, here's exactly. what it is. And um, it just makes so much sense because like, again, you know, we, we all know the lineage here for that kind of nerd that, you know, Hidden Fortress inspires George Lucas. George Lucas creates new hope. New hope spreads everywhere, <laughs> It's modern mythology. We're all in taking it, and you know, so am I. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, then, like, it all comes around to the point where, you know, nearly thirty years later, they're like, "Hey, you want to write a book?"
0: And we're still, we are still doing it too, you know. And, and this is mm-hmm. obviously the most overt of the ways, but you watch like a the Disney Gallery special and Deborah Chow mm-hmm. is like, oh, my episode is Yojimbo. And then you mm-hmm. look at, you know, the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. Oh, this is Seven Samurai. And mm-hmm. Clone Wars has done mm-hmm. Seven Samurai. And there's Seven mm-hmm. Samurai in the duel. And it, mm-hmm. and, and we mm-hmm. see how, obviously, so many Westerns are just riffs. Right. And you right. Know, Star yes. Wars is as much a Western as it is a samurai film, you hear that all the time, right. but really saying it is also Western is just highlighting and underlining the samurai part because you can right. be Magnificent Seven, but that just makes you Seven Samurai.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I was like, I've been trying to find ways to talk about it that like capture the back and forth because I really think it's um, about narratives feeding into each other and this mm-hmm. sort of this cross-cultural pollination um, And obviously, you know, like, there's elements of, like, of course, cultural imperialism and the fact that um, the U.S. culture and media and Hollywood is pervasive all throughout the world. And that Mm -hmm. helps create these legends. But also, like, Japan, Japan, cool anime, it's had a huge cultural influence in itself, especially with people who are, like, really into, oh, this is is a thing that's not quite in my lexicon. I'm going to, like, absorb it and integrate what I can learn from it and just, oh, I love it. It's so cool to be part of this iterative process.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a worldwide yes and act in a way that we haven't really been able to see. And for something like Star Wars to do it, I think is super special because you can find these influences throughout all things, you know, you, you mm-hmm. can, you can find, you can find them in, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe or, or DC or, or any of your, your major franchises, but none of them have as much of a one-to-one relationship as, as Star Wars does, or, you know, slightly off one-to-one, but now yeah. more so than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for Star mm-hmm. Wars to do it, I think is it's, A, it's just, it's good business because it's something yeah. Star Wars can do um, in yeah. this way. Like You could do, you know, 10 Marvel shorts and do a Gundam Iron Man. And they've done that in oh, Marvel God. Comics. I just, like, they've oh, done, I
1: want that so bad. Oh, that'd be cool. Me. <laughs>
0: like They've done the Marvel <laughs> manga verse in the books mm-hmm. and that's all well and good. But to do mm-hmm. it like this and to hear people talk about how much it means for them on a career level and on a personal level um, mm-hmm. We didn't say this outright up front, but if you're familiar with Emma or if you're not, you are of Japanese ancestry. You're mm-hmm. Japanese. So this is like, yeah, this is actually the work of, I mean, this is, it's, it's the work of, to say it's the work of your people is like an understatement. But it's, it's a cultural sort of moment where it's, you know, to be seen in the work and to have history seen in the work is something that is so particular and that no Japanese creators ever had in Star Wars until now.
1: Yeah so it's interesting because like um, I was impacted by Star Wars very early on completely by accident. It just happened to be on the TV once when my family was on vacation and I was like I don't want to go outside. I want to watch watch whatever this is. (laughs) I was just transfixed but like um, I'm also I'm fourth generation Japanese so I'm like in terms of my lineage and my culture like I'm removed I'm American Japanese so like that's back and forth is also very much part of like what I am what I grew up with who I've become and um I spent a lot of years like even as I was writing seriously thinking uh oh I don't know if I want to do anything too Japanesey because you know you get worried about being pigeonholed and you also get you also worry about like oh what if I come up process really which is a funny thing to be anxious about when you're Japanese yeah um but it was there especially because you know I'm mixed so and the authenticity thing starts haunting you uh thankfully I have thrown all of that away it's gone and I knew like a couple years ago no I'm gonna commit to doing some sort of extremely Japanese fantasy project and I've got all that written up like I've got the plans for it to like cannibalize one day for something (laughs) but yeah being offered this was just, it was unspeakably beautiful, because it's not something that I ever could have thought up on my own. Just the idea of take Star Wars, have fun with it, just kind of run away, do like use these inspirations and build something. But like, I never would have imagined doing that. Like I, I always thought, yeah, maybe one day they'll let me write a Star Wars book. That'd be cool. But this, this is something else. And it's it's hard to find words that express how much I'm gratified by the project's existence and also having been invited to contribute to it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's again, that, that, that cultural aspect and, and what you spoke to there about being generations removed and almost feeling like, like, again, there, this is not like a, oh, I get it. Cause mm-hmm. like everyone's experiences, mm-hmm. but in terms of me and, and being Latino, the, mm-hmm. But not speaking Spanish and being mm-hmm. a couple generations mm-hmm. down and almost feeling like, do I have the right to be part of these conversations? Do I have mm-hmm. the right to tweet a you know a, a Latinx month tweet mm-hmm. or th- th- things like that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. seem sort of uh, inconsequential, like feeling weepy mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. but really yeah. do sink in your brain? Um, yeah. And so to have this now, sort of say, like you said cut loose, run free, take every influence you want, put it in there and, and really sort of become, come to terms with everything that you've been feeling inside of such a fun setting. Again, like mm-hmm. you said, this is sort of so unique and so unexpected. Like, even if the mm-hmm. the star, if this hadn't happened, maybe the Star Wars dream and goal comes to pass, but it would have been similar to other authors where they're like okay mm-hmm. we need you to hit x y and z have some mm-hmm. fun here but you know bring mm-hmm. it home and d- this is mm-hmm. not bad. and so it, it yeah. you sort of to work out your almost a, a little bit of work mm-hmm. out your, your personal uh
1: oh gosh yeah come
0: to jesus moment in the, in mm-hmm.
1: the story mm-hmm. yeah no definitely like um there was this comic I wish I remembered the artist it was this independent artist who'd like just um drawn through and written up some of her own diaspora feelings and it was very familiar to me and it like sort of gave me the language to um liberate myself into a sense of like recognizing where I sit in the lineage of history and having contentment with that and going like yeah one authenticity is an impossible bar to meet don't chase it because the only way you can have it is to be alive. And that's the most important thing, right? To be alive and to be doing whatever you're doing in the most giving way you can. And the language she was giving was like, here is where I am. I am, like, I don't remember her exact lineage, but she was like, I am what I am. I am as removed as I am removed from that. And when I return to those roots, I am reaching across a gap and I am translating and I am doing it with compassion and I am doing it with yearning and I am doing it with the desire to give as much as I get. Like that's perfect, that, that's yeah. where I need to land. Yeah. And like as a consequence, I was able to you know draft up that whole like big fantasy thing that maybe one day I'll work off of. But um, instead of that, I got to do visions. <laughs> I was like, yay. Yeah, not, <laughs> not a
0: bad pit stop, not a bad pit yeah. stop at all. Um, Already, in just a couple of minutes, I feel like very uh personally just like this whole entire project just makes you feel so personally and creatively invigorated to see, let alone mm-hmm. to work in so let's take a step back from not back from the personal but back from the <laughs> cultural and and into the pop mm-hmm. cultural, just as we sort of mm. set, set the table for child you um, yes. <laughs> is, is did you have a household that was encouraging you? into sci-fi fantasy and, and franchise media off the bat? Or did that sort of come later on?
1: I mean, like my, so I ran into Star Wars when I was seven. And then consequently went into the library and read like all of the Star Wars books I could find because I was an early reader. So a lot of it went over my head, but I was consuming from a very young age to the point that, you know, a year later when I'm eight and other kids are discovering it, I felt very pretentious. Like, yeah, "Mm, yeah, (laughs) I know that one. (laughs) Casuals. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, you eight year old. (laughs) But yeah, so like I learned a little bit later that my mom was actually a bit of a Trekkie when she was, like, in oh. high school. But she kind of left that behind. She's reading Ronin. I'm very grateful for that. I, like, didn't That's expect great. that to happen. Um, but my dad was a little more into it. He tried to give me the Silmarillion at one point, and I just, like, it was too dense for me. <laughs> uh, we did watch um, Deep Space Nine every Sunday while it was airing. That nice. was a thing we did together. Um, okay, so this, this is a house thing, yeah. that
0: this is, like, yeah, okay. Well, it's so like
1: this, my this, parents are also divorced from a very young age. So it's like different environments. Oh, and I was like okay. going so back and forth. Yeah, okay. And also like my mom made me a deal at some point when I was like twelve. Like, you have to read a real book for every sci fi fantasy thing you can do. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and so I read a lot of like classic literature that summer <laughs> because I was like, No, I have to read the next book. That's so funny. <laughs> that is so really, really you know, funny. it was it was
0: both. <laughs> now, that's an interesting point that I love touching on with creators. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, the, the joke of like, oh, it's a real book. Um, mm-hmm. But when you look at those real book experiences and mm-hmm. your Star Wars experiences, mm-hmm. it's, it, I think it's really, not that you need to do the one-for-one <laughs> trade-off with kids, but it is, important, <laughs> it is important to point things out and, gotcha. and to, to show them in the same way that you could say to a kid, like, you know, The Lion King is kind of like this other story, Hamlet. Like, even mm-hmm. if you're not reading mm-hmm. it right now, yeah. later on, those types of of things, like we talk about Kurosawa, like my favorite Kurosawa is probably mm-hmm. the Blood. And mm-hmm. I didn't know until I was an adult or a teenager uh-huh. that it's Macbeth. Yeah. And yeah. like, oh, okay. So like doing that, I uh-huh. do think that you started to realize as a kid that the themes and like the stories of like, Luke being just like any other young person in any other book like did that type of thing start to dawn on you?
1: I mean like I definitely was deeply deeply academically nerdy from a pretty young age so you know I learned about uh Joseph Campbell probably when I was in my early (laughs) preteens so like this was the kind of thing I was really attracted to knowing about and learning more about from a um from that youth. So, yeah, no, I've, I've always uh, associated my consumption of these things in the context of all the other shit I love. Like, right. oh, sorry. How much can I curse?
2: You can swear <laughs> oh. as much as you want. You
1: okay, cool.
2: Swear I've tried to
1: tone myself down a lot over the last few
0: months. <laughs> I forget to say that. Uh, but I mean, but, <laughs> but that was smart for you to give yourself some lead up yeah. as you're going to start doing press. Uh, <laughs> I think sometimes people forget. And then they're like, oh, I have to turn it off immediately. And, you know.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. No, my wife and I were kind of like sailors in this household. So, you know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, like one of a, a book that I read when I was like 16, 17, and that like meant the world to me was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead because that just, ooh, it was saying something that I needed to have said that like yeah. I hadn't encountered before. It was so delicious. And I reread it like a couple years later. And I was like, oh my God, this was formative. It's still in me. Yeah. <laughs> so like everything I love about uh, the mythopoeic uh proportions of a star wars story is stuff that i'm also interested in elsewhere Mm -hmm. um and that because again i'm a nerd i've probably read about in like theoretical terms
0: i feel a strong connection to everything you just said there (laughs) the types of stories landing with you and continuing to permeate uh your consumption of other stuff i mean i always joke like Mm -hmm. if there's any type of sort of uh, sins of the father archetype, like I'm there, I'm ready to project <laughs> onto the book, onto the movie. Like, uh, <laughs> like, like at the time of this recording, I haven't seen Ted Lasso yet, but
1: oh, it is me. my understanding
0: that Ted Lasso went full dad stuff with a recent episode. Oh dear. Oh so no. now I'm like, i watch it. Um, but that's the type of stuff that like with Rosencrantz mm-hmm. and Guildenstern, uh, first mm-hmm. of all, we think of, uh, I don't know if you've if you've watched a Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back, um, uh-huh. or maybe it's in Chasing Amy that he says it. I think it's in Chasing Amy where he's like uh-huh. that Jane and Silent Bob are like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And he's like, actually, I, I, I more like that.
2: Vladimir
0: and Trigon. Um, <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> uh, <laughs> but which is funny because Kevin Smith tells a story that the first time he was promoting Clerks, uh, I believe in France that uh-huh. somebody said. Jay and Silent Bob are like R2D2 and C3PO. Oh my and then oh I was like God. it's just it keeps going. <laughs> like everything, it's everything <laughs> is reference and reference and reference.
2: Oh, that's but, so good. But yeah,
0: the, the ability to find uh, that connective tissue, I think, is so valuable. And, and you know, like with, with Campbell mm-hmm. and I remember my um, you know, two of my favorite teachers that I've ever had, who were sisters, um, they used a lot of you know, that connect tissue in their lessons. And I remember uh, one of them breaking down Campbell in terms of Frodo and in terms Mm -hmm. of that happened there. So I'm constantly Mm -hmm. thinking in terms of reference. And I guess that that builds to an interesting point with a character like, you know, the Ronin that you're dealing with in the story because he does fall into the tradition of so many other characters that happen, And so how, how much of that is, I want to get this beat in, Versus creating whole cloth.
1: So the interesting thing is that now in my life and my brain, I have a deep enmity toward Campbell. Um, Mm. Because once I was in uh, like like cultural anthropology for undergrad and we were doing like our deep critical theory, I realized that what he had done was exactly the same as this other anthropologist who was like, I'm going to find the monomist. And it was a deeply, deeply racist venture that was like, I am going to reduce the stories of all of the different cultures that I find yeah. uh, from the bottom of South America to the top of North America, and I'm going to fit them all into this mold." And I was just like, no, you jerk, you can't do that. You're just ignoring everything that's convenient for you to ignore right. and fitting it to these tropes that you recognize that mean something to you, but which like what's important about the story is completely different to the people that you are hearing like quote unquote the story from Mm -hmm. like the way they interpret it is totally different. And that really changed my relationship to Joseph Campbell, who I had like done a huge senior project on in high school. I was like, "Uh Oh, I don't like this anymore. You're
0: like, did I just become disappointed by my first parasocial (laughs) relationship?
1: Right. Well, like it was like, okay, cool. You know, I, I, I've come to really adore and appreciate these moments where, like, I I develop skepticism about something that I previously believed. Uh, Something I said a couple weeks ago that I realized is really true about myself was like, if I haven't learned something new in the last two three weeks, I start to become deeply suspicious of myself.
0: (laughs) That's a good quality. I think
1: that's a good quality. And so, like. I really want to be able to approach things critically and to be able to like unpack them. And so I don't think Campbell was a bad person. I think his project was narrow, like pretty short sighted Mm -hmm. and had a very narrow cultural imperialism to it. And so in that sense, like knowing that it is still the backbone of star Wars, I was thinking about how to have a conversation with it (laughs) and, you know, that's that's partly what's going on too when you're bringing this mythic story which like poses a hero going through ordeals to reach the end against the Jigai Geki period pieces that it's coming from which I think on the whole are very skeptical of heroes because they're really into protagonists especially if they're samurai or sort of caught between this idea of like this ideal code that they've sworn themselves to, mm-hmm. but which also serves them, because as long as the code is true and they are part of the code and they have power and they have goodness, but in these stories they're often being put up against, oh, okay, but you're also, you've done bad things. <laughs> and like yeah. you've been a bad person. And they get stuck in that, like, oh God, well, if these two things can't be true at the same time, can they? And the truth is they actually can because we're contradictory creatures. And we can have that push pull because nobody's one thing all the time. Mm -hmm. But like, that's the space G Geki are interested in playing in. And it's not really the space that Star Wars is interested in playing in. So for Visions, when you're like bringing those things closer together, it was like, all right, so we have a guy who's some mistakes <laughs> just a
0: casual like, uh Sith lover like, resume like you know
1: <laughs> I don't think it's mm, yeah no there, there's some things that I, I called him that I think are a little spoilery but that's
0: okay, that's okay.
1: Um, we'll yeah. do a
0: light it's, spoiler that's a perfect time yeah, to actually say yeah. it. we'll do a light spoiler warning I don't yeah. want to I'm not going to do like a end this yeah. scene type questions but right. just in yeah. case so everyone feels yeah. free to talk
1: okay
2: yeah
0: (laughs)
1: um i've i've called him uh or one of my touchstones really early on for like who this guy is was like if anakin skywalker had pulled an obi-wan kenobi where he like made his big mistake and then went "Uh uh-oh i screwed up i got bail
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm going
0: to do some wandering (laughs) and uh some reflecting
1: Right. And like, he's still making a choice that's like, I'm going to hunt down and murder these people, which maybe that's not the the most productive thing he could be doing, but it is what he's doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, like, that's all drawn from the character they give me. Here's a guy roaming the countryside. He has done a good thing. It is maybe incidentally a good thing. Yeah. Like, what's his deal? Why and this is this? Sort doing of his this?
0: modus operandi of the yeah. of, of kyber crystals and sort
2: mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. they, they
0: give you a lot of good. Uh, I always cite my my buddy Joseph Scrimshaw on the Force Center podcast. He calls it yeah. Star Wars does tip of the iceberg storytelling. Star Wars, mm. is, you know, yes, it's in Matis rests and, and and you know those, but but Star Wars is doing in the most bare bones terms is saying, uh, look at this. Okay, bye. Like. <laughs> And then you're like, what what does that mean? What's going on? What's under there? That's what (laughs) Chorus always is. And so you get to something like the end of the duel, the short, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, two chapters of Ronan. And Mm -hmm. it's like, uh, he did do that incidentally good thing. And like, yes, people have now been protected and benefited from his deeds. But also like, even at the end of, you know, seeing the short, I I got to see the short a little bit early. So even at the end of seeing it, I was like, what? that's a, man that crystal's going to protect him that's not good like that's, yeah. the, that's a sith crystal like kid get get, get, away, get away from this man like and, and then it ends so you're like yeah. oh nah I nah, I want to read this immediately so you got i think really uh presented with so much so mm-hmm. much meat to work with here mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and I, I love what you're oh, saying yeah. about, i mean and a, the start in terms of star wars like what if Anakin had made an Obi choice and but yeah in terms of the, you know, the Jedi Geki films of what they're dealing with
2: mm-hmm. I is
0: fascinating in terms of breaking down heroes. But then also in terms of setting, like you look at something like, I, you know, I mentioned Rone Kenshin earlier and how, mm-hmm. you know, he's mm-hmm. like, you know, the hitokiri batosai and mm-hmm. you know, how he mm-hmm. was, how it's all post-war. Like so many of the mm-hmm. shorts are post the fall of the Jedi,
2: um, mm-hmm.
0: you know, that, uh, Toby, T-O-B-1, is like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, F in The Village Bride is like Mm -hmm. that. It feels Mm -hmm. like when they gave these studios the open, you know, blue sky ability with these stories, Mm -hmm. there was a shared sort of cultural fascination with we're coming off of a great conflict Mm -hmm. and these are Mm -hmm. wounded people, people dealing with things and Mm -hmm. the duel is just Dripping with that, where you can see
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: even in his small moments, so many of which are also in Ronin, like you get, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you're treated to so much more of this fascinating character. Um, but for those who haven't read, you know, we'll mm-hmm. keep it in terms of what they may have seen already.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, you know, the, the, the whole line of like, you're a Jedi, and he's like, unfortunately, I am not a Jedi. Like, just, yeah, just the, just the whole thing of unfortunately tells you so uh-huh. much about this man,
1: uh-huh. uh, which
0: I thought was fascinating.
1: You know, the the war stuff you bring up is really interesting because I think actually um, a lot of modern anime, and, and probably I have this bias because I took a class in college that was about post-war Japan mm-hmm. and pop culture. Yeah. <laughs> and um, But like there's a lot in anime that is working through feelings about war. Um, and one of the early decisions I made with Ronin was like because it's uh and Geki is usually sort of set it's typically set in the Shogunate, which is, like, Nodoni Kitchen starts, like, right after that, right. Uh, the fall of the Shogunate. But uh, the way I had it in my head was, like, okay, so this, and I don't think this is spoilers because it's background noise that you sort of, like, pick up yeah, in totally. the first five chapters, which are out now. And um, maybe it'll give some texture to that to anyone who's interested. But, like, uh, the theory I had was that this is a point where the shogunate has quote unquote ended because of this rebellion that the South apparently did. and Because it gave the reason, it gave uh, the ability to the emperor to like regain some of his power and authority by calling the lords under him. Mm-hmm. To go like, we have to take care of this threat. It's huge. We have to be united. <laughs> and so like reclaiming some power from the way it's become like this territorial regional lords thing. So the empire and the seat of the throne, that's strong right now or newly strong, potentially very brittle given that it's, you know, only been 20 years or so since that all came together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But that's the period of history that I'm like playing around with. It's obviously not a one-to-one because that's not how it worked in history. Yeah. But we're moving from like a more shogunate type era to a more like, okay, we're all unified again, theoretically. Yeah. <laughs> people might still be arguing with each other, but, like, we have an emperor now, and that's more than in name only again. Um, But again, like, I really wanted it to be, you know, the empire is the empire, because in Geki, the tension is between your loyalty to that and your sense of maybe that compromises your ability to be a good person sometimes. Um, Not saying that, things you do in the name of the empire are always bad because often it's protecting people um but it also means you're a guy with a sword who has the authority to use it whenever you feel like it and some people with swords are just dicks
0: (laughs) and how does that affect (laughs) your ability to for some people i guess it's heal um for some people grieve for you know for Mm -hmm. other people to Mm -hmm. to find direction you know to not Mm be you know a a wayward sort of wandering Mm -hmm. uh, figure Mm -hmm nobody is able to like self-actualize if they're constantly mm-hmm. uh you know if they're an on-call weapon you know like right, you're, exactly you're not, you're not yeah. allowed to mm-hmm. do and that's something that you see yes taken from uh mm-hmm. japanese art and, and put into mm-hmm. so many characters now of, you know mm-hmm. uh, the characters that can't quit you know yes. or, or that, that aren't allowed to yeah. quit, and you know that, that's mm-hmm. that's that space that Wolverine lives in. Where yes, mm-hmm. he's this Canadian character, but so many of his seminal stories are set in Japan or influenced by Japan mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he he is that guy. Where it's like
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, I don't age, I'm constantly being dragged into this, um, mm-hmm. and how how do characters sort of break or or not? You know, in, in,
1: in, yeah, no, um, the question of people. So something I like to say about, like, the way I like to deploy violence in stories, because, like, I love action movies. I'm very simple in that way. I am easily entranced by a good action scene. I still haven't seen John Wick, and that's a disservice I'm doing to myself. The oh, first one came so out happy. when I was hospitalized. You so. are going to be <laughs> so
0: happy. if if, if you're getting entranced by a good, it's like, <laughs> I mean, the whole gun thing. Like yeah. Yes, it's a trend now. Like, but I'm with it. Like, give it to yeah, me a thousand uh, I'm times.
1: I'm excited. Like, I was breathless all through Mad Max: Fury Road. You oh, know, yeah. Die Hard was my favorite movie for ages. I love good action that feels like palpable. And so, you know, I do that in my work because it's something I enjoy. That, like, how do I get other people to enjoy it? So, uh, my theory of it is that I like to deploy it as a poison because I think violence should feel scary. Mm -hmm. And it should also deeply affect the people who commit it, regardless of how into the action they are or how devoted they are to the thing that they're pursuing with their violence. Like it's a slow acting poison that hurts you because it's like psychologically you are wounding other living beings and that's no good. It's just bad for you. Do not recommend. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, mm -mm, no, don't do that. Not with your life. But, you know, if I'm writing about characters who are, like, who, again, I'm drawing all of these people with their lightsabers closer to the samurai, then they are people who are expected to do violence. Like, that's the thing they've been honed to do. And I won't, again, talk too much about that, but, like, that does come up. Like, this is a thing that's been done to everyone who's, force sensitive in this empire is this understanding of well if you have this ability then you come learn how to do violence for us that's just what you do maybe it wasn't always like that but it is how it is now maybe that kind of sucks for a lot of people even the ones who are good at it
0: yeah and there's some really interesting um parallels to there's no good because it is star wars there's no good Mm -hmm. differentiating term i don't want to say like star wars proper but for established Uh star wars um i
1: like star wars proper i think that works
0: yeah star wars proper yeah i think there's like Mm -hmm. vision star wars Star Wars proper okay if you're if you're Mm -hmm. comfortable with it Um, yeah no
1: it makes sense to me
0: yeah star wars proper has that entire uh small story you might have heard of it uh the whole prequel trilogy uh where where the the (laughs) conversations are happening we are keepers of the peace not soldiers you know, uh-huh. we, uh, uh, you know, we can investigate this. Uh, we can't fight a war. Oh, Dooku, yeah. ah, he's a political idealist. Like, yeah. Dooku, we to me, was one of us. Like, it's this, there's all this push yeah. all about, are we cops? Are we yes. generals? Are we, like, Obi-Wan, you're gonna go be a detective now. Bring them to justice. What justice is, uh, we'll figure that out when we get there. Like,
1: yeah, and it's like, oh my god, you guys, no, do better. You gotta figure, you gotta think about this and decide what you don't do.
0: Yeah, like, there's <laughs> you cannot figure out philosophy with this with the sword already in your hand. Like, do mm-hmm. that in the council mm-hmm. chambers, and so much of yeah. that tra- translates well into these conversations because that push pull of what is a keeper of the peace versus mm-hmm. a soldier. You know, uh, I think it was mm-hmm. somebody I can't remember who it was. And it wasn't somebody like in the Star Wars space. It was just a friend. And mm-hmm. I, I wish I could give him a shout out in case he's listening. <laughs> I, I, I have to think about it, but somebody in my life who was a very, very, very casual Star Wars fan—maybe only seen some of uh-huh. them Yeah. Said, "Isn't it interesting that these guys don't carry shields like Captain America,
1: and mm-hmm. that they carry
0: swords?" And I was considering what they say they are, and I'm like, "That's
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's a solid point. That's that's a solid."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And. You know, you, they end up with this push pull that I think is always really uh, fascinating when explored in other facets. And what you're able to do here, specifically with Ronin as it relates to mm-hmm. the is that all the other shorts in their own ways are creating either like La Pinocho is a Star mm-hmm. Wars, a new Star Wars planet. The Village Bride is a new Star Wars planet. And so's this, but none of those other mm-hmm. ones are also um, translating the aesthetic through a different lens or none of the other shorts are translating verbiage like yes there is the empire in the other shorts but there it's not like the empire comma in feudal japan yeah this one has the most transformation of you know like we see it visually like what if a Doug character, but, you know, in a, in a, in a movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing and
1: yeah, like yeah, yeah,
0: astromech droid, but you know, is being repaired while the tea is boiling. Like yeah. those types of things are super interesting to me. So talk to me mm-hmm. about not only translating ideas, but translating like the nitty gritty of star Wars, like what types of things is, are going through your mind? If you're like, Oh, I want to do you know, I want to do uh, this, this vehicle, but I gotta make it like this, or that, you know, just an example.
1: This is this is kind of funny because like one um, uh, over the pandemic, I've had the I've I befriended a lot of like other writers and creative people over the pandemic because we've all been like we're stuck at home. Yeah. I got to talk to somebody, um, but one of the people I come to know is um, Alyssa Long, and mm. so we were chatting a little bit about the writing she was doing on Afra. And so, you know, like I had an opportunity to articulate some of my opinions about like what Star Wars is, but it's also something I think about all the time because when I was writing my own debut book, with, which is now going to be with Tor.com in 2023, I was writing it thinking like, write this so that one day they'll be like, yes, they can write a Star Wars. They're capable yeah. of doing this. So like that same aesthetic was on my mind when I was crafting that world. And I think... um It has to be a very tactile and sort of like grimy space. You know, you have to like believe people live here and stuff's broken (laughs) and they have to figure out how to fix it or they have to live with it. And also everybody's whining all the time. They're often doing it in a funny way, but like that's kind of the attitude you're bringing to it Mm. when you're shaping the kinds of things that people care about and the kinds of things they're going to talk about, which is also going to shape in turn, what the world looks like. So there's that early, you know, after we have the whole duel, like we take them out of the village. And one of the first things they run into, it's just like a bunch of people traveling on the road, just kind of chatting to each other, talking story. And that was an opportunity for me to set tone and terms. Like this is the kind of stuff people care about. It's like very much we're still bringing our stuff to market so we can sell it. And we have some conveniences, but we're by no means are we in the center of the galaxy where our needs are like far more removed from us, and we get automation mm-hmm. to do everything for us uh, if there's a droid out here it's doing manual labor <laughs> so it's for me it really comes down to like where people are and what are they doing and one of the things that I found so lastingly charming about Star Wars is that it's extremely quotidian everyone is just dealing with their daily shit and uh, so yeah does that answer your question
2: no
0: it does it does I mean (laughs) what you sort of what I gather from that is sort of the root of so much of like your philosophy in translating things you know and Mm -hmm. your philosophy and in deciding what aspects to pull I mean right there like you said like there's, like, two tenets of Star Wars that I really appreciate are that everybody is the lead of their own story in a uh-huh. way that, like, other universes, like, have that, but, like, yeah. Star Wars has that. And 80s and 90s kids having power of the force, figuring out everybody's names, figuring out everybody's, uh-huh. everybody gets a novel, everybody gets this, like,
2: yeah, yeah,
0: that, yeah. that has is built in in a big, bad way. And the other part mm-hmm. of that is what you just touched on, which is that we're living life you know that Mm -hmm. yes there are stories everywhere some of those stories are you know like in uh bryce dallas howard's uh mandalorian chapter four sanctuary like the we're trying to get shrimp because Mm -hmm. that's what we eat and yeah get the shrimp then we don't eat and we don't make money yeah and (laughs) that's that whole village and Mm -hmm. yes there Mm -hmm. and i remember my my stepfather was watching that episode and he you know coming at it very casually and he was like well I don't understand, like if they have robots here, like why would they? And I'm like, no, 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 sweet summer child. The droids are akin to like a farm animal here. Like they're not, it's not Star Trek where they're going to solve your problems, Uh but it's not hard Mm sci-fi. It's it's Mm -hmm. just fantasy with those trappings. And so Mm -hmm. now in Ronin, Mm -hmm. it's fantasy with Mm -hmm. those trappings and trappings on those trappings. Uh, Yes. So now, (laughs) you know, like you have like everybody's new favorite droid, but we put a hat on him and you know and it's those those elements i think are so
2: yes
0: um cool and either a visually Mm -hmm. but also in like the setup i remember when ronin was announced there were lots of conversations about Uh you know the the premise that was given and the crawl of it Uh and it it was like wow is is this book low-key adapting like the jedi sith schism and 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 and, (laughs) the sith wars and the <laughs> public stuff and like i'm not saying you need to comment on who told you what or
1: no what, it's uh, fine because that's funny because if i read it i did there were there were huge gaps in my old star wars knowledge because yeah. i only had what the library had mm-hmm. so i actually don't know any of that <laughs>
2: that's great. That's hilarious
0: I, that's probably the best answer you could get like, i did something accidentally
2: um but you know it's okay, great i mean cool.
0: That type of stuff is, is you know, it's obviously legends now, but people, mm-hmm. you know, legends is always slow. I mean, what Dave Filoni had Ahsoka say? There's always some truth in legends, which I think is one yeah. of the best get out of jail freeze for anything they want yes. to do. Is like, yes. well, I mean, it's they it could have happened that way, maybe not. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it, it's very possible that there is a version of Ronin that mm-hmm. did happen. Mm-hmm. in a galaxy far far away proper yep um yeah and yeah you can decide in your mind as a reader sort of how that might happen if that sort of thing is yep. important to you
2: yeah so
0: with that said what is your relationship yep. with a you know lucasfilm as as a working partner and you know story mm-hmm. group and things like that because this is a different experience for them as well mm-hmm. um, where they're not giving you the same notes that they would give other authors i've spoken mm-hmm. to of like oh, you can't use that character because they're going to pop up here, like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: way less relevant to the goal here. Mm-hmm. Um, but also your relationship to ideas of, I am free here. I'm not inserting what is the feudal Japan version of Luke Skywalker or Leia, mm-hmm. like, you know, being able to have in the back of your mind that you're not tied to something. What is that like?
1: I mean, it. it I can't compare it to much because... One, it's funny. This is now my debut. I I had written and sold the book a month before I was pulled on to this project, but this book came out first. So uh, consequently, it's also my first IP work. Um, And I've now done some IP work. The IP work I've done for Ronin and also the IP work I did for this other thing, like they were both with fairly new and or original stuff. So I got a lot of leeway. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. They gave, the first thing I got was a description of, like, Dark Warrior comes to town, defends town from bandits, turns out to be Sith, and that's, no, like, cool, soul, sounds great, Let's yeah. let's do this. And then I got the very first version of the script, which is not exactly how it is in the duel, there's some deviations between there, but um, the original author is uh, Mitsuyasu Sakai. I can give you his name in more detail. He's on Twitter. Um, oh, awesome. I incorporated his characterization of the Ronin in that into the duel, because in the duel, he's quite taciturn, he doesn't say a lot, but in the original script, he's actually pretty funny, so. <laughs> And that was one of the first things that I was instantly attracted to, because I was like, I don't think I can write this guy if he's just, like, kind of grim all the time. I need yeah. him to have a sense of humor.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. that's also a unique opportunity yeah. for a Sith, right?
1: Yeah. Like, you don't, you yeah. don't get that either. So. I don't know. I think Darth Maul's pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know if he's always funny on purpose, but I find
0: yeah, it oh, yeah, I think Darth Maul is funny <laughs> to watch, like, as, as a beautiful disaster.
1: Oh, I was telling him the other day, he's just, like, an angry old cat... <laughs> so funny oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah oh yeah um, for, for sure I, I, I feel that way about Palpatine too like Palpatine yeah. is funny Palpatine is funny oh, to God. watch like as a petty petty uh, just just Ventress
1: is also funny in the same way of like oh don't make that decision that's a bad decision uh oh here she goes none of them have I think
0: like none of them can crack a joke but oh boy are they just bad at life
1: Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Anyway, so like um, my first taste of the Ronin was that script by uh, Mitsuyasu Sakai and going like, okay, that's who he is in my head. He's like, he doesn't always say what he's thinking but he's always like got his thoughts going and that was where his conversations with the voice really came in handy because they're always sniping at each other. (laughs) But yeah, I was given, again, a lot of leeway. Um I when I turned in, I was doing like idea works, pitching things to myself at every stage, and I would get something new. I'd be like, oh okay, incorporate this, um, dig dig more into that. Um but when I offered the outline, I got very little feedback. They were like, yeah, sure, go for it.
2: You're like, what? Um, freedom <laughs> tom,
1: my my editor tom was a little like oh okay great i i hope they wouldn't say anything but they didn't yay yeah and like every once in a while there'd be things where they're like oh can we do this or like a little bit different like um there was one point where they're like uh th- this interaction with a machine via the force feels a little too intimate we'd like those things to be a little separate you're like okay um and i started thinking about it as like pulling this like i had pulled the story a certain amount of degree closer to Jidai Geki and also mm-hmm. to like japanese sensibility about things like we all know the force derives from chi which itself derives from Taoism, which originated in china mm-hmm. and so the dark and the light side which none of us really understand what that means which is why we can debate it all the time um i brought that also back to its origin in terms of like Yin and yang, right yeah. the uh a, a black current and a white flare so you know like darkness is passive but it's like all of the current it's moving and which is some then, of my favorite
0: stuff that you did yeah. in the way is just like that, Hooray.
1: <laughs> that like
0: sort of i'm i'm a really like force obsessive person that's mm-hmm. my side of star wars so, like visions was a treat <laughs> overall, um but then particularly with the way that you approach that stuff of I mean, I could hear sort of, you know, like the the conversations I've had with friends or Mm -hmm. or in my own mind while you know Mm -hmm. doing laundry and stuff. Like, like Mm -hmm. that's that's Mm -hmm. what you think about when you're a Star Wars nerd. Mm -hmm. Things like Mm -hmm. cosmic versus living, dark Mm -hmm. light, flowing, rigid, Mm -hmm. all that different Mm -hmm. stuff. And I I loved the way that you incorporated about how they move different, feel different, and Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there's that push pull. I think is really
1: yeah. So I was just pulling it closer to that. And then every once in a while, Lucasfilm would be like, oh, can we pull this a little closer to Star Wars? Be like, okay. (laughs) Like my original conception of uh, the Jedi was a little more in step with Samurai. And uh, Lucasfilm wanted them to be a little closer to like Jedi as we knew them. I still, they're they're still evidently quite different from Jedi as we know them. Mm -hmm. But there was a version of the way I was thinking through the story and constructing it where they were, even more akin to samurai um but yeah like that was mostly where it was and I was constantly like oh my god can I get away with this are they gonna let me have this I hope they let me have this well what's cool about you saying that
0: is that immediately (laughs) in my mind I'm like well maybe the ones that are even closer to samurai are the generation even before you know like yeah yeah, like Uh it's it's something that and I, again, like to ask you questions that you mm-hmm. A, don't know the answer to or B, couldn't answer even if you did is useless for everybody. So <laughs> I can't say like, will there be Ronin prequels, Ronin sequels? Like, I,
1: I mean, if they ask me to, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's
0: the best answer we could get. Like sometimes I, I, I listen to interviews with authors or, or filmmakers or whatever. And it's uh-huh. like, they could tell you, even if they did know. What are you yeah. doing? Um, but yes, if if you had the ability, you would. And those are the types of mm-hmm. things where it's like, now that it's a proven commodity, like who knows sort of what mm-hmm. the what the next step of that would be. Um, mm-hmm. I did want to follow up though on that process with mm. the the creative um, input. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. who who at Lucasfilm were you working with? Was it some of the, the familiar? faces like Jen Heddle or, you know, or Matt yes. Martin and, and those yes. folks? Yes.
1: Those are two names I recognize. Yeah. There are other names in the document that I can't quite recall. That's yeah, I'm just curious. I think those were two of the main ones. There was another person who was there and it was just like, these were all people who were like in the comments of the manuscript. we um, yeah. were like, oh, can we do this? Or, oh, what about this? And, um, but overall Again, it was extremely hands off compared to like my understanding of how this usually goes.
2: Sure, yeah. And
1: a lot of that has to do with just the nature of the project.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had, um, without getting like too much into it, or without getting too much mm-hmm. into like other people's business, I've mm-hmm. had conversations on air mm-hmm. and off air where sometimes mm-hmm. when you're doing Star Wars proper and it's like mm-hmm. this is canon, it does count. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had a conversation with a writer where their entire arc. Was supposed to take mm-hmm. place in post one of the films, and they were like, Nope, gotta be pre one of the films. They were like, Change that color, change this, change this, change this, and, and the, the core ideas worked, and you mm-hmm. wouldn't know, but mm-hmm. I can only imagine how stressful that would be. Um, yeah,
1: oh god, okay. Actually, there's some funny stories here in the sense that um, I also got notes from the studio, which I had asked for because I yeah. was like, I got their character designs and I got to watch and I got that early version of the script, and I also got um, to watch, like, three successive versions of the animation. Cool. Um, And I got a couple notes from them about, and it was really in step with what I had already sort of, like, taken away from it, which is, like, okay, this is Jidageki, and this is, like, the era we're working with. Um, And they had some details about, like, their version, their vision of, like, why he's collecting the crystals and what the crystals mean in this world, um, and like the idea of their e- illegality was something that they had thought of. Mm-hmm. And um, Tom and I were immediately like sword laws mm-hmm. <laughs> um, when the Shogunate was like, no, no swords for anyone except for those who are part of our plan, our uh, our business. Approved swords. So it's sword. like, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they're doing with uh, the Kyber crystals and. Um, The thing that was really tricky to weave was actually the Rodent's lightsabers because I knew he had two. Right. I did not know that one of them was the scabbard.
0: Yes, and that was something that watching the short and then obviously you get more clarity, of course, on the written in the written word. Uh But I don't know if you had a similar experience to most of us as as fans viewing. I had written
1: the the version of the short I saw. It was, the only thing that was clear to me was that he had two. I'm like, okay, he's got two hilts on his, on his waist. That makes sense. I do wonder why she didn't think about the fact that he had two hilts, but whatever. Right. And so it's not until, like, I saw the second version that I went, are you kidding me? That's when that's what it is.
0: Established. See, because when I first saw, obviously I've only seen the finished version. um, Yeah. But it even took me back where I was like, did I miss a second? Oh uh, oh that's so cool. Like I, I had this yeah. where I was like I thought that he only had one. I scrubbed back to like yeah. a, a body shot, like a wide shot where you could see his wings. Uh-huh. Yeah, that I yeah. That's in really interesting that you had you got so, to witness that idea happen. Oh
1: well, like because I'm i sure they knew it from the beginning, but it just wasn't clear to me in the short yeah. that I the original version I saw, which had, you know, full-on T poses at some points. Yeah. <laughs> and like So, I had to edit things at that point because I had already written the draft. So, this is clear in those five chapters. On his belt. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all I I can say this because it's out in the five chapters, but Kodu steals one of them in chapter five. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, which one does she take? Uh oh, I have to figure this out. Um, And there was a last minute. update from the studio that happened while we were in past pages, which is like, I'm almost hesitant to say because it's just, no, it works. So the reason he has a scabbard is because his usual lightsaber, his proper one, he can't turn it off. Mm -hmm. That's the thing they tell me right at the end. So we had to layer in edits to include that and to like work in work it into the story oh god it was a nightmare i like i love how it came together and what's great I is wish that i had known that earlier i don't
0: know if you saw just in, in like <laughs> conversations online but that mm-hmm. was a a half joking observation mm-hmm. a lot of fans yeah made no
1: i i saw that like, i was like mm-hmm.
0: went exactly like i remember talking to collaborator co-host friend uh, Tori Fox uh-huh. who does her show, uh, yeah, 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 and we were all freaking out about lightsaber sheath, lightsaber scabbard, yeah, yeah. how cool! And then I forget uh-huh. which of our friends was like, "lol," like, wouldn't it be funny if he's so mad as a Sith that it just can't turn off? And we were like, ah, ha, 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 ha. and then <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it ends up being <laughs> is hysterical, oh, was,
1: and again, totally and what earlier. a great <laughs> visual
0: metaphor! Like that's it's just so good funny. visual storytelling, yeah. but. Also, stressful uh, for you to have to <laughs> then layer in.
1: I mean, like, I was laughing every time like I, I got another update about the lightsaber because at that point it was just like, this guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, he. T- uh, yeah. What's
1: going on in his head? What's wrong with him?
0: Yeah. Was there <laughs> and by that, I something? Mean the Ronin. Yes, not, not editors, <laughs> the Ronin. Uh, was there something that you wanted to translate from Star Wars proper that. Didn't get in either for being too tough to crack, too out of place, or something that you were like, "That's a little too on the nose." Like I'm not saying yeah. go so, going so far as like a cameo, unless there was. um But was there something that you were like, ah, "There's no sense in trying this. They won't approve it." Like an appearance or something we know, or something that you were like, "I want to see the feudal Japan version of that."
1: No, I don't think so. I really got away with everything I offered them. <laughs> I'm That's sure cool. it would have come up with something, but like. Yeah. And I'm
0: sure there probably everything. was a line. Like if, if halfway through the book, mm-hmm. you were like, and here's Kylo Ren or something like that. They would have been like, ah, all right, easy now, <laughs>
2: easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm, I'm sure they would have pulled the reins at some point. But no, it was it was a a very easy working relationship.
0: So glad to hear that. And I think that it's a perfect time now that we sort of dissected a little bit of that style dial it back in terms of your creative inspirations right now, mm. something that I've been really into asking everybody that I talked to as of late is who is inspiring you right now, or in the lens of this whole project, you know, who has inspired you along the way, where are you at sort of creatively? Cause it hasn't been the best time being locked up and everything in our houses sure. and stuff like that for creative people. You stuck with yourself a lot. So wh- what have you been looking to throughout your process?
1: So the funny thing is, um, I feel like I kind of got a preview of lockdown and that I've been like more mentally ready for it than a lot of people because I got very, very sick in 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I like what happened to me is the worst case scenario of what can happen to you with COVID. So don't get COVID. Like, like, uh, it ruined I my body forever. <laughs> wow. Um, I had lung failure because I had a virus, like it was, it came out of nowhere. Uh, They never figured out what the virus was, but um, I had meningitis, like, so my brain had a fever. And then after that, I had multiple organ failure. So I was hospitalized and I was on a respirator, on a ventilator, respirator, and on ECMO, which is gruesome. And I won't talk too much about it, but you can look it up for four months. And this was in Japan because I had been teaching there. Mm. And um, I survived because I was the only patient who was that sick in their hospital Mm -hmm. and also they had nationalized healthcare so they could afford to take care of me like if this had happened to me in the states i would be dead (laughs) um
2: horrifying but
1: uh so the lasting consequences for me like have included my bronchiectasis which is a kind of copd it essentially means i have 50 percent lung capacity um i don't breathe too good (laughs) and uh recovery took me a very long time it took like a year and a half mm-hmm. and this was me not just recovering use of my lungs to like interact with people but to walk <laughs> to recover use of my body Yeah. but as such i've spent a lot of time kind of in a home or alone um i've also concluded over the years that like i can't have a traditional job because if I get exposed to even regular colds, I get knocked out for like two months wow, because yeah. my lungs just aren't very good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't. There have been different ways in which I, I felt the impact of the pandemic. It's usually been fear because, respiratorily speaking, I am very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So my intake hasn't changed that much, except that I'm watching things that like are like comfort food for me a little more often. Mm-hmm. But um, there's so much cool stuff going on in sci-fi fantasy right now. Um, I've had the unique luck and pleasure to befriend some of the people whose work, I just am blown away by constantly. Like I love everything Neon Yang's putting out. They've got this uh, Joan of Arc mecha space opera coming out I think next year, The Genesis of Misery. I read a draft of it. It's apparently completely different now. It's so good. You're Everything good you writer. just said, that Uh-oh. whole pitch and
0: then the title, I was like, "God, wow, I can write that down.
1: Yeah. Ooh, ooh, look for that. It's, it's going to be good. Um, uh, N.K. Jemisin and Fonda Lee, I think, are both really, really good at like gently putting you into a roller coaster seat and going, strap mm. in. Yeah. And just sending you on your way. And you're like, uh, oh God, it's going to get bad. Yeah. You're just, you're there. Um I love studying their books for like how their their absolute mastery of the emotional hinge. um I also spend a lot of time listening to uh real play podcasts, mm. like my favorite is probably Friends at the table, and they're just so inventive and so thoughtful and so engaged in like their joke is their running joke is that they love dramatic irony too much but um you know that thing where people will be afraid of metagaming at the table they take metagaming and they're like how can I make this problem worse (laughs) it's so good and like everything they've made me laugh out loud when I'm in the middle of driving (laughs) um or like weep when I'm doing the dishes. I love everything they do. Um, they're doing a horror season right now, which is like Castlevania meets kind of a weird Americana event. It's really eerie Sounds and good and scary, and I love it. Um, they've also done next stuff and they've done fantasy stuff, and it's it's delicious. But yeah, I also like I watch a lot of humor things, so. Yeah. Funny people on YouTube,
0: <laughs> which honestly, yeah, is extremely necessary in these times. Yes, and, no, uh, I
1: that's that's my cover. Like I've watched, it, it's funny. Uh, H. Bomberg guy did this video on the Russian game Pathologic, like right before the pandemic started, mm-hmm. and I I've watched it a couple times during the pandemic because one, it's very funny, and two, the game is very interesting. And I scrolled down into the comments the other day, I was like, oh my god, I'm not alone. <laughs> Look at yeah. all these other people rewatching this video again and again. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's that's finding those things that you can go back to repeatedly mm-hmm. um is so important just for our shared just I think, collective sanity uh mm-hmm. right now. But but they, thank you again for um sharing a little bit of your of, of your background too in terms of, of the struggle mm-hmm. that you had to go through uh in you know in that 2012, 13, 14 period, because I mean it's like that perspective and your, your openness, I hope has, mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not saying that any of us can convince people that are yeah. horrible choices, but I hope that it at least is um, imparting some awareness of, of the severity. Yeah.
1: No, I, I'm very aware that like facts don't persuade people. They just cause, like, I have an amazing psychology. I know this. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, you know, it just is true that, I, a virus once ruined my body and I, my wife had to be reshaped because of it. Um, and that experience definitely shapes the way I approach characters and stories and the way that something happens to your body. Uh-oh, consequences time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Imagine that. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. Imagine that in these times. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but so in spinning off of that, if we're, we're going to now focus in on Star Wars, I'm always yeah. curious, especially for people working in Star Wars, uh. Uh, the Star Wars stuff that you're not involved in, that you see mm. coming up down the line, that is not related to Ronin potential more in that Ronin world or mm-hmm. Visions the potential in the Visions world. We're looking down at what might be, I mean, 2019 was a pretty banger year for Star Wars because you had yeah. the premiere of Mandalorian, you had the end of the sequels, mm-hmm. you had Fallen Order, obviously comics were always going strong, um, mm-hmm. novels. But now in 2022, mm-hmm. we stand to see Mando season three, Bad Batch season two, Obi-Wan, Andor. What are you the most excited for right now?
1: Um, Obi-Wan and Andor. Um, I love Obi-Wan. I, that affection grew over time, but, like, I've watched a lot of the Clone Wars when I was in grad school. That was, like, my cool-down time. That was what I started calling Anakin the himbo from the darkest timeline. <laughs> and um, Obi-Wan, meanwhile, is, like, Oh, he's such he's such a vodka odds. I'm just in your like. Say one nice thing, Obi Wan. Come on, you can do it.
0: So true. <laughs>
2: it's
0: so true. I mean, even <laughs> down to down to the where are you going for a drink? Like he he's just like,
1: come on. <laughs> Connect. <laughs> um, and consequently, I love where they are in the beginning of Revenge of the Sith. But um, you no, know, I'm really excited for Obi Wan. I want to see what's going on with him. And, um, and or because K2 is my buddy. K2 is like the only action figure I have of <laughs> Star Wars. I the got only that one myself. that's
0: restraint. That is restraint.
1: <laughs> I'm not a big, I, I'm, I'm a cheap body skull person. <laughs>
2: okay. Okay. I
1: got you. <laughs> but, uh, I love K2. So I'm really, uh, and Rogue One also like, Uh, If you ever hear me talking about, like, I credit Star Wars with making me get representation. It's like the difference between the intellectual and the physical understanding of it, like, Mm -hmm. was when Baze and Chirrut walked on screen and I just started weeping for no reason. I was like, oh, okay, this is what it means. Like, they're Chinese, but it's still, there's a familiarity there that's really, like, getting into my body. (laughs) So... I love Rogue One. I'm probably never going to watch it again because it took too much out of me. But I love K2. And I'm really looking forward to Andor consequently.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's something, you know, particular about both of those stories, which is just like Mm -hmm. a a massive processing of pain. Mm -hmm. The pain of what I'm in right now with Cassian or the pain of what I was just in with Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan. A lot of reconciliation. And I think that, I mean if if you had told me um that obi-wan was going to be a series a few years ago i would have been like huh because you know we didn't a we didn't have disney plus but also because it just feels like oh it's obi-wan Kenobi it should be a movie but like the more that we've gotten closer to it especially with the announcement of deborah chow i've just been mm-hmm. like wow like this is this could this could be like a mythic reflective just like come to jesus in the desert like it just sounds like it could be so good like i i don't know how much i mean they've already teed up that vader's gonna be in it so we're probably gonna get something flashy but like Mm -hmm. my the obi-wan series in my heart he only pulls the saber out once like in the finale like i would love it to be just like methodical Um, like i want people to turn tune in for this show and be like no one said anything in that episode like that's what i want like
1: i'd be there for it
0: yeah drinking tea like walking walking to the cantina helping uh-huh. someone
1: oh gosh i bet he's a local menace
0: <laughs> oh oh for sure because yeah he has to get that reputation somehow right like, uncle yeah, and, like, like, mm, like no, crazy no not man. that
1: guy get him out of here <laughs> yeah. well, here he comes
0: again in his robes
1: he's coming yeah. to sell us
0: something Tell us about the force.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: That's so exciting. Um, So now let's take it even one one lens even further down into this. What in Star Wars in world characters that you really want to play with or characters that you want to see again? Are there things in Star Wars that are jumping out to you right now? Or even that you were like, wow, I would love to do my my take on them and whether my take means my uh ronin verse take or otherwise in 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 a star wars yeah i mean
1: it's so hard to say because like i really loved the sequels um they did like just the emotion of them was Mm -hmm. really delicious to me like i really like in particular i just you, you know i love meta now but like as a consequence uh the last jedi was just oh scrumptious (laughs) like i thought it was just such a good eighth entry into a nine-part saga because it sits down and goes what are we doing here (laughs)
0: exactly like i've always said that force awakens is like i don't want to say remember because i'm not trying to like remember barry's meme like -hmm. i'm not trying to knock it Mm -hmm. at all but force awakens is here's why you love star wars right i I felt like And it was like an operatic
1: chorus. Exactly. You know, it's going like, here we are.
0: Exactly. And then Last Jedi Mm -hmm. is, but what about that? Like, yeah. But but here's what you love about Star Wars, but why do you love that? Is I thought was like just a perfect. And that's why I I've always resented the it threw away seven criticisms because it's like, no, it took everything that Seven said and was like, yes, and in the best way.
1: Yeah, no, I think those criticisms are objectively wrong, but that's another conversation. I think so
0: too. (laughs) Uh, Uh, This episode's going to be three hours now, everybody. Buckle up. Okay. Uh,
1: (laughs) So I've had a lot of time to think about, like, what is it about the sequels that, like, spoke to me most? And um, I think at the end of everything, I don't always think of things in terms of, like, oh, that was my favorite character, because I'm a little more just meta i guess in my approach like Mm. oh i love that moment i love that scenario but um i would get so excited whenever finn was on screen Mm. so because if you had asked me like five years ago like what's the star wars novel that like if you got to pitch what would you do it i'd be like Well, my favorite books were Wraith's Quadrant. And part of what I liked about that was like, here's just like these normies trying to deal with all this other stuff. Sometimes your neighbors are space wizards and they have laser swords, and you have to just deal with that. (laughs) So instead, I got like, (laughs) yeah, instead, I got this book that was like, it's all laser swords all the time. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: okay, I'll do it. But um, I really like the people in Star Wars, like just living their lives, trying to get through things. I would love the opportunity to work. Like, I guess if I were in canon proper, I would love to be able to work with people who are like not in step with the way that the force is traditionally seen by these like larger organizations. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to work with like, Uh, the white flare and the black current in Ronin was like a special gift to me that they gave me the opportunity to do because again like so much of what I have wanted to do what I've envisioned like my ideal Star Wars thing is like oh if I could bring this thing that's been interpreted a little closer to the thing at its source yeah um So in that sense, it's very difficult for me to go like, what's your dream project in Star Wars? Because like, they let me do it. I didn't know it was possible until they were like, here, you want to do this?
2: Right. (laughs) And so
0: then to take those ideas into into canon proper would be such a different exercise that it's almost hard to imagine what it would be without Mm -hmm. it being. Because we've seen, you know, you brought up Sheridan Bay, is talking about like
2: Mm
0: -hmm. being left of center of the way that the force is viewed. Mm -hmm. We have cheerin and bays mm-hmm. as guardians you have laura santeca as church of the force like we've named drops. you have the witches
1: in dathomir which is a dathomir like and whatever then, the um, heck they're doing
0: exactly like and uh <laughs> in the legends of luke skywalker um he mm-hmm. visits the which again are they're in canon but it's like there's mm-hmm. that wiggle room of them being right pulled after the fact
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: that luke you know met those people that are like oh we don't know what the force is, but we have the tide. And then Luke realizing, mm-hmm. like, oh, these are the same thing. Which uh, mm-hmm. Visions also does in The Village Bride with magic. Yeah.
1: Oh.
0: Which just, like, rocked my world. So
1: That's my favorite one. I kind of knew it would be.
0: That's my favorite um, one, too. I mean, you, you and I both freaked <laughs> out on Twitter about it. Like, it's just, like... Ooh, man, it's a it's, it's a it's a poem. Like it's, it's just so
1: good. It it's, is.
0: It's wildly good. And so those types of things of moving just to mm-hmm. the side. I think that
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, bringing up Finn and bringing up that sequel era of mm-hmm. now that the you know now that this has been put to bed for now until somebody mm-hmm. has an idea. Because I I'm the last person that believes that nine is going to be the last movie. I hope it's a long mm-hmm. time before we unpack that again. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just, that's just not, I just don't see it ever ending. Yeah. Uh, but yeah,
1: I, the, I know John Boyega is doing other wonderful things in this world, but if he ever yeah. wanted to come back as Finn, oh. I know like, Oh God, he was my favorite. He's just so good.
0: Yeah. Like if, <laughs> if it was like, And I know the easy thing is like Finn as a Jedi and it's like, yes. Mm-hmm. But also if it was Finn as a, as, as a you know, a character speculating on like, yeah, I was indoctrinated into a thing. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna need to make some changes if we're gonna, yeah, things. like that type of yeah. thing. And and Ray loves him and values him, so you know she'd be receptive mm-hmm. to that. That yes. conversations of like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: hey, Ray, I should be your outreach person, probably. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna. God, this.
1: yeah. Oh my God, my favorite thing about. Ray is whenever she's being like a little feral, a little unsocialized. Like mm-hmm. she grew up with a lot of sand. She doesn't know how to talk to people. <laughs> uh,
0: just like Unkar Plot and like yeah. you know, these, these scavenger people. And that's why I think like yeah. you'll never get, I think, as dynamite an introduction as hers, just like that five-minute oh, silent film in Force Shivers. Awakens. Which is just yeah. like
1: wow. Mm-hmm. And
0: then you add Finn to the mix, and it's like mm-hmm. the perfect idiots like just like the oh, perfect so like, good. Like, the, like they make perfect so much sense together so I uh,
1: yeah no, I loved their dynamics so much uh yeah. I spent the first the Force Awakens just like vibrating in my seat like yes yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah like there are so many moments in that where so many like we're back moments and like there's the obvious mm-hmm. ones like 3PO the Falcon things like that but yeah. just like tones like yes just like the the, the, the levity settling in over the crowd like Poe mm-hmm. and Kylo right up at the top yeah of the movie of like, yeah
2: uh-huh. who talks
0: first you know that type of yeah. stuff I was like
2: yeah. yeah okay
0: all right all right we're back yeah. okay this yeah. is Star Wars
1: yeah. <laughs> oh god what a time mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. what a time yeah
1: so I I would happily work on anything sequel there just because I love those characters they they really like I think the way I put it to some other people is like I grew up loving Star Wars kind of by accident. No one exposed me to it. The TV exposed me to it. I was mm-hmm. like, "What's this?" But um, Star Wars of the current era feels like a Star Wars that goes, "Oh, I know who you are," because I'm I'm a mixed race, chronically ill, queer person, and I feel like the Star Wars kind of like is like, "Oh yeah, no, you're real. I know you," yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and, and just that's
1: that mix.
0: <laughs> and I always try to, like, emphasize to everybody that listens uh-huh. that neither me nor anyone that's on the show uh-huh. is ever saying, we're not, no one is saying that we've
2: mm-hmm. accomplished
0: all of it, uh, or yes. that we're in a great place. But those, mm-hmm. th- that feeling of yeah a better place of yeah. being seen in this Star Wars is
1: yeah
0: is wild. And it's something that I've never had to want, you know, being <laughs> a, 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 a cishet, white-passing guy. Yeah. Like uh-huh. it, was, it, was, it was just handed to me for decades. Um, mm-hmm. but to be able to see, like, coming down the pipeline, Taika Waititi, you know, uh, wow. you know, an indigenous Jewish person running so one of the films, for
1: whatever he does, right? and then <laughs> over
0: here, like Leslie headland a queer woman running an mm-hmm. entire Star Wars series, like, suddenly it's like, oh, we're about to see nothing but other perspectives. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, it's it's wild like I also just uh I'm not naturally a fandom kind of person I like my friends tend to be people who are into fandom so I call myself fandom adjacent um
2: that sounds but... so wealthy
0: <laughs> it sounds so peaceful <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's just the way my interests gravitate yeah so um but consequently my first exposure to Star Wars fandom has been through my work with Ronin and so forth there have been so many cool people (laughs) like people are so chill people are so sweet and like I know I I got some advice early on about like here's how to like vet your social media and also I wrote my thesis on toxicity on social media so I have some like awareness of how to protect myself with barriers and whatever but there have been so many nice people like oh you all you all get it
0: (laughs) I also think that, and I've I've never had the perfect way to articulate this, but I'm sure you'll pick up what I'm trying to say. And I've I've tried Uh more than once to articulate Uh it. I think, and not in a, it's not in like people that like to read are better. Like, I'm not saying that. (laughs) I am saying though, that I think that the High Republic shows, Mm Ronan shows, um, Alphabet Squadron shows, Thrawn shows, mm-hmm. all of these big things that are on the page, they require more engagement and time spent
2: mm-hmm. than I
0: think weeds out knee-jerk stuff to a large yeah. degree, where I think that it's easy for someone to, Rotten Tomatoes, one of the sequel movies Mm -hmm. see a percentage score and then decide that's going to be their entire fight whereas yeah book, it's like oh everybody it took them a little bit of time to put it away you know at least a day uh at least Mm -hmm. a days worth of time sitting you know Mm -hmm. even the most incredibly fast reader you just physically Mm -hmm. like you're gonna have to put some time into it Mm -hmm. and that i think creates a different culture of conversations for star wars authors versus star wars filmmakers. yeah No, I
1: think you're probably right. I'd probably put it in terms of effort, um, which is kind of what you're saying, but just like psychologically, like one of the things that I benefited from when I was getting that degree and like doing these studies was that um, it really shaped the way I see people behaving in the world when they're behaving aggressively with each other. Um, And for a long time, I had suspected that malice was actually far less common than people assumed it was, and I have nigh on proof of that, because malice takes a lot of energy, and human beings are fundamentally lazy, because we are fundamentally energy-conserving creatures. Mm -hmm. So the more effort a thing requires, the less likely people are to do it. And that's just fundamental caloric fact. So, again if it takes effort to read a book and takes effort to find people to engage with it, you are slowly weeding out more and more people who are just trying to express some sort of frustration and doing it in a potentially toxic way. Um, So no, I think you're absolutely onto something.
0: Yeah, I I really like, because you'll hear conversations of somebody with a Star Wars novel, like, oh, I didn't like that one as Mm -hmm. much, or I love that one, or whatever the opinion Mm -hmm. is. But Mm -hmm. it took them a long time to get to that, controversial Mm -hmm. character controversial scene or Mm -hmm. you know uh, Mm -hmm. that that new concept like
2: Mm -hmm. you had
0: to dig there was no other Mm -hmm. way around it you know you can't Mm -hmm. pay Mm -hmm. a streaming service fee and have someone read ronin to you although Mm -hmm. maybe that is a thing you know i I guess the audio book the audio
1: book's coming (laughs) but but the audio
0: book doesn't editorialize anything you know that's true which is great versus shows which there's youtubers after that are like here's what i thought of that Mm -hmm. episode you know, uh, that that's yeah, what, yeah. I, that's, I think, a, you know, a huge... Yeah, it's about.
1: true. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I think there's a lot of interesting things here, especially with, like, uh, the the degree of team effort there is yeah. in a thing as complicated as a show or a movie versus the book, like, I wrote it I had an editor. I had the editorial assistant. I had the other editors giving feedback as well. I had the story group, but all in all, we're a much smaller group than you're going to get from one of these larger productions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's let's wind down with just a couple mm-hmm. author things. I had said Okay. way earlier off air, um, uh-huh. this ended up being your debut. wasn't supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> How has it changed your day-to-day, A, and B, how does how how did you go about establishing if you have all at all you may feel like you haven't your authorial sort of identity like this is this <laughs> is what my pen name's going to be on the book i mean you ended up um, using just your real name mm-hmm. um but those yeah. those decisions like how does that how does all that table setting happen for you as a as an author coming to the table
1: so to start with the name um I knew when I published, like, my full name is actually Emma Miyako Suenaga Kandon. Mm. So I've got, like, my Japanese uh, given name and family name inserted in the middle of my uh, anglophone ones. And I always knew I wanted to rescue one of them into, like, if I started publishing, at least one of them would be there. And I just ended up liking the consonants of Emma Miyako Kandon, because uh, Suenaga doesn't have the hard k. Yeah. Um, so that, that, it was purely aesthetic, I just liked it. But uh, I have signed a number of books like with my thing and then the kanji for Suenaga um, which again, that's the family name. But uh, gosh, it, in a way it's been nice because it's like ripping off the Band-Aid like when my book was bought by tour.com, I knew from the beginning it's going to come out in 2023. So there's this long lead time, and that's getting shorter and shorter by the months. But it gave me time to like kind of ease into the idea of, okay, cool. I'm going to be a published author in two
2: years. Yeah.
1: And then it was like, hey, you're going to be a published author in like 10 months. <laughs> and I had to figure out a lot of things that I had put off much faster. And Thankfully, I'm friends with a bunch of people who are already established authors, some of whom um, share mirrored experiences with mine in terms of like uh, marginalizations. And so, you know, there's always going to be jerks out there who aren't going to like me because I'm queer who aren't going to like me because I'm not white right. or who aren't going to like me because I'm part white <laughs> and, or who, who aren't going to be fans of the fact that I talk about illness. So those jerks are always going to be out there. And like, how do I protect myself from that? And also how do I protect myself from the fact that social media can be even at the healthiest point in your life can do a lot of things to your brain and to yourself. Yeah. Um, and I'm also not a person who's like naturally drawn to it. And that's kind of an advantage, but it did mean I had to figure out how to be on it. And I think I figured out a basic like way to be on Twitter. Um, but I don't, uh, I'll, I'll find myself going like, eh, you don't need to talk about that on Twitter. Like even if it's a very positive thing where I'm like, this just happened and I loved it. Um, Cause it's it's a personal thing. It's like, no, don't don't put yourself there. Just that you're 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 on there to be fun and to yeah. say fun things and to interact with people sincerely and joyfully because thankfully I'm a fairly joyful person and sometimes an overly sincere one so um, yeah that that all came together and rather wonderfully the stuff I write is adventure science fantasy with philosophical angst. So Ronan's a pretty good introduction to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it sort of, it, it speaks directly to, like, like the, the audience, I think, that is going to engage with Ronan, either through, you know, Visions reigniting their mm-hmm. little Star Wars, bringing them back in, or people that are consuming every Star Wars novel, like, that's mm-hmm. a crowd that I think following you now into 2023 is a good crowd to have that will appreciate Yeah, the-
1: I'm, I'm very, I'm so grateful to have been able to do this. It's, yeah. I have to find a new thing for my bucket list, kind of cool. <laughs> right? And uh, I, I didn't know if I was gonna be able to fall in love with it this quickly, but I did. Um, in no small part, because everything that Kamikaze Doga did for the duel is just so stunning, oh, from the character designs down to the animation, just the viscerality of it. It's so good, and like the aesthetics they chose. I just my compliments to every chef in that oh, kitchen. Oh yeah,
0: I mean the second that it starts with that <laughs> wide shot and then the title card yeah. comes up over the landscape, oh, I was like, oh. oh. Oh, we are in. Like this is how uh, we're starting this whole anthology. Like uh, crazy good. Crazy good. So good. Um, um but uh yeah, so now now for a question that is both mm. basic but also useful for mm. the person listening that's like
2: mm.
0: I want to do that. You know, and I know uh-huh. that's, a, that's a high pressure question.
2: Uh, <laughs> it's a
0: question that sometimes people it becomes almost meme worthy. Like I saw a, mm-hmm. a TikTok of somebody that was like every writing panel I've ever been to. And the answer uh-huh. was, like, just write. Just write every day. Just, just keep writing. When you don't feel like writing, write. So I know that there's obviously uh, some, some answers that maybe you've been given that you're like, I want to push back on that, or I, I do want to emphasize yeah. So wherever you so, want to take that, any aspect that- of being an author.
1: To clarify, the question is like, how do you do do this? How do you get to this place, right? Get to this Um, place
0: or, 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 you know, uh, find yourself and finally feel like you are an author.
1: um, I didn't take myself so wonderfully. I've sort of done the preface to this because I didn't take myself seriously as a writer until college Hmm. when I started going, oh, you can get paid for this. Well, work on it until you're in a place where you can get paid to do it because I was still thinking about like really in this capitalistic mindset of right. like, I have to do this, but I can only do a bit if it's worth my time. But after I got sick um, and I had to spend all that time just like being alive and figuring out how to recover my body, um, it was finishing a draft of a book and being able to send it to my agent. That, that was the moment where I felt human again like, I wasn't just alive, I was a person. I had recovered my command of language because I didn't have my command of language for a long time, Not in part because of the tracheotomy. Um, and in part just because I was, I, I started calling myself kind of a feral hospital child. I didn't know how to interact with people who weren't healthcare professionals. Um,
0: that's interesting. Wow, yeah, I never, I, that's and, the kind of thing that no one has, I've ever heard anyone talk about. It's very interesting. Well, like, I
1: was in there for six months. Right, sort of. <laughs> And you know, like sometimes I was essentially comatose. Like, I don't remember anything from like September, October, 2012. Um, Thanksgiving had something happened though. Like, oh, there's Thanksgiving decorations. When did Halloween occur? Oh, huh? no. <laughs> I didn't know it. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, but yeah, I mean like writing for me is kind of vital to securing my relationship to being alive. Um, I see it as something I'm entitled to and something that I have to do in order to maintain my humanity and my personhood. So I owe it to myself to keep doing it. And there are days when I can't. And so because at times I can be anxious if I don't do it for a long time, I find other ways to feed that part of my brain. And that can be reading. It can be playing a video game that's like really engaging to me but just like finding ways where i am cherishing and rejuvenating that part of me um and also you know like trick yourself into working do whatever it takes (laughs) we're all different we all do different things i've been doing a lot of sprints with my writer friends this year (laughs) And that, that'll be, like, 20 minutes where we're we'll all, like, communally, to like, go, 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 go. And some people will be, like, lurking in the same space, being like, hey, guys, I'm working. Sprints don't work for me, but I'm here. Um, right. But just, like, for me, what's really important is that very personal relationship with, like, I do this because I have owed it for being a person. And I do it for myself because I owe it to myself to recognize the fact that I'm a person. Yeah.
0: Now, that is a, <laughs> that is a powerfully profound high note, I think, to go out on. that I, I just sat there for a second and thought, like, I forgot that I was on this podcast. And I, was just, <laughs> and I was just listening, like, wow, that is a banger of an approach of just, like, to make it personal to the point where it, you know, you, you don't need, there is that, to say, like, how do I become an author? Like, those answers have to be as personal as the work that you want to make, I guess, is... is mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's you can't hold yourself to the standard of others. You know, those people that are like, this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Like being able to own that type of stuff, I think is so important, mm-hmm. and yeah, mm-hmm. that's extremely valuable. So, wow, look at us. This went way longer than I, I thought it was going to go. So thank <laughs> you for your time, by the way.
1: Oh, of course, happy uh, to. Yeah, it
0: was I really...
1: was again. I was really looking forward to the conversation.
0: <laughs> so was I. So was I. So, uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? We'll do the social okay. media plugs thing, which I'm sure, sure like, as you do more of these, you'll be able to just rattle off the plugs yes. like it's no one's business. Well,
1: the thing is, I'm only really on two social media sites right now. Theoretically, um, I think I'm on Tumblr, but um, theoretically. I, am, I, I love Tumblr. It was my corner of the garbage internet for so many years. Uh, I'd like to go on there to just like do long form thoughts, but... Uh, It's where the weird internet lives and therefore I love it. But um, yeah, so I'm E.M. Candon, C-A-N-D-O-N on Instagram and on Tumblr. I am most consistently on Twitter where I am Emma Candon, E-M-M-A, again, C-A-N-D-O-N, so E-M-M-A, C-A-N-D-O-N. And yeah, that's where I am. I've got uh, Ronan coming out. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. And then I've got my weird post-post apocalyptic mecha book with div- divine AIs and people being s- dragged screaming toward revolution in
0: 2023. That sounds amazing. I'm ready. I'm ready to, to <laughs> jump in a mecca to go toward revolution in 2023. I think we need it <laughs>
1: right
2: now. So
0: again, everybody uh, say thank you. Tweet some thanks. Tweet, a, tweet some thanks with a nice cool Uh, uh, gif or gif from from the duel. Let's celebrate this awesome story, this awesome creative endeavor and everything and let us know uh, what you think of this unique and special canon in and of itself that has been established with this book and and stop having boring conversations about what's canon and what's not. If it's canon in your heart (laughs) uh, let's uh, wrap up here with a couple plugs of my own. Uh, If you love Star Wars Rebels, which you should um we are doing a rewatch between worlds that is another show here on this feed and we are in season one chugging along it's been a lot of fun that's with me and nikki kumar um, from the imperial senate podcast you can listen to that here as well uh Tori fox's show the mandatorian creed is going to be coming back soon um, with her a series season, series season, multi part extravaganza on Star Tours, the whole ride experience, the history, the ins and outs, all that's going to be coming soon. Um, we've all been moving, starting new jobs, figuring stuff out. So if you're like, where are they? Well, this is free. And sometimes things take time uh that I, I we do this because we love it it's i can't do a, a regimented like give me clicks type thing it's not what we're interested in doing so it'll happen <laughs> when it happens and it'll be better for having marinated uh and all of that stuff is gonna be uh octo radio a h c h t o radio you know the one that's the planet where luke was hanging out and he was like i'm gonna burn this tree down and then i'm gonna die uh but the meat <laughs> really gonna wholesome anyway Uh, so octa radio uh, star wars podcast and we've got interviews coming up here after emma with uh, ed greer who's a wonderful uh, comedian and writer he's going to be coming on the show to talk about mandalorians we've got some more people involved with visions that are hopefully going to be coming on Uh, all types of fun stuff is in the works right now and so you'll just uh, follow us on socials and we'll we'll let you know so uh, for right now, you can find me personally tweeting probably about wrestling or Van Helsing because it's October, whatever spooky stuff I feel like talking about. AD underscore Strider. Instagram, A period, D period Strider. But for right now, for me, for Emma, for the Ronin, punch it, Chewy.